We began a brand new series last Sunday that we're calling Raised to Life. And uh, it, the, the idea behind this series is simple, and it is something that we all recognize. That is, humanity is looking for something. Everybody is on a search for something, for a better way to live. And it doesn't matter really what we acquire as far as possessions or wealth or technology. Uh, we seem to always fall short. We always want more than we have because hardwired into the human soul it is a desire to find something. And Jesus came, Christians believe that Jesus came into the world to answer the question, to give us what it is that we're looking for, a life, real life, an abundant life. That's what he came to give. And so last week we began to talk about what it meant to follow after Jesus and what it meant to get this abundant life that he is offering. And we said that while his mission was to give us abundant life, what he asked of us in order to get that abundant life is something that runs contrary uh, to our instincts. That he says, if you want to find your life, you must lose your life. And actually, you have to give up your life in order to get the life that it is that Jesus has come to give you. So if we are following a Savior, if we're following a God who says, listen, I've got abundant life for you, but in order for you to get it, you are going to have to be willing to die. That requires that we trust him. Because that is a pretty bold claim that Jesus is making. Come follow me, take up your cross and follow me, and I will give you abundant life. So the question that Jesus is basically asking us is, do you trust me? Do you trust me to give you what I claimed I will give you if you are willing to sacrifice and surrender your life for it? Now we saw this played out last week as Jesus was called by some of his dearest friends to come and heal their brother who was sick. And we saw how Jesus actually waited. He delayed his trip back to heal this this man that he cared for. The scripture says he actually loved him and he loved his sisters. And Jesus waited two extra days to go back. So here's our question this week. Can we trust a God who so often seems late? Whose motives we can't always understand? And who quite honestly seems unable or unwilling to change our circumstances in order to end our suffering and to make our lives better. Can we trust his timing? After all, many of you have been in situations where you have thought, if only they had not left the house when they left the house. If they had just left ten minutes later. If only the diagnosis would have come two months sooner. We question his timing, don't we? But we also question his motives. And we say, is he punishing me for something? Maybe that explains what's going on in my life, that God is punishing me for something I've done. And so we begin to question his motives. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? What is it that God is doing? Does he love certain people more than he loves me? Because their lives sure seem to be charmed. Nothing ever bad happens to them. And and I thought I was at least as good a person as they are. So we question his timing. We question his motives, and maybe we even question his ability. If God is truly all-powerful, then why didn't he stop this from happening? Well, maybe he doesn't really love me, or maybe he's not really all-powerful. Do we question his ability to do what it is that we think he should be doing? So in this passage that we're looking at today, in John chapter 11, if you have a Bible, I invite you open to John 11. 
We'll be starting in verse 17. In this passage, we're going to see the way that Jesus responds to all of these questions as he interacts with people who are wrestling with the same doubts that so many of you have as you've come in here today. That you've come into church today and you have doubts about God's timing. You have doubts about God's motives. You have doubts about God's abilities. All of these questions were brought to Jesus in this encounter. So John chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 17. Now the first thing I, w- I want to just remind you of, and this is important. Maybe you don't come to church often or, or you're not somebody who reads the Bible very often. And uh, I, You should know that everything we talk about comes from the Bible. It's not my idea. It, these are ideas that are rooted in, in the scripture, rooted in the Bible. And the Bible tells us stories of real people and real events. And just to give you a little indication of that, in 1873 there was a discovery... Uh, in Palestine, in, in, in ancient Israel, around the ancient city of, Beth, of, of Bethany, which is where this story takes place. And inside of a tomb, there was an ossuary, which is a, a Jewish burial crypt, and it had three names written on it. And it was dated from the first century B.C., and the names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so I just want you to know, when we tell these stories, these are real occurrences with real people. Sometimes it's easy to sort of disconnect what we read in the Bible from reality. But I just want you to know, these stories are real people and real things. So Jesus had a very special relationship with this family, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, uh, two sisters and a brother. Uh, We find them also in Luke chapter 11. Uh, We see that Luke says that he, Jesus, came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home for him. And so this relationship had been building over time. So when the brother, when Mary and Martha's brother became sick, it was no surprise what Mary and Martha would do. So the sisters, we read in John 11 verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus, you know us, you care about us, you've demonstrated love for us, Lazarus is sick, we've seen the miracles that you do, you just healed a blind man, you've healed a lame man, you've done all kinds of miracles, we're not asking for much, just come back to Bethany and take care of the fact that our brother is sick. Jesus, however, decided to wait two days. And if you want to find out more about that, I encourage you to go back to our podcast, listen to last week's message, and we're going to pick up this week with what happened after Jesus decided he would go to Bethany after his two-day delay. So verse 17, on his arrival in Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So Martha gets up. This is kind of how Martha is. Martha's a person of action. She gets up and immediately charges out of the house and goes down the road to meet Jesus. She couldn't even wait for him to get all the way to the house. And in Martha, we meet the first of the doubts that we wrestle with. Because Martha is questioning God's timing. That's what I want you to listen for in Martha's conversation with Jesus. Martha is questioning God's timing. Listen to what she says in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Okay, so that's, she's upset with Jesus as she, as she should be. 
So she says what she's upset about, and then she sort of softens the blow by saying, but I know it doesn't change who you are, and it doesn't change your power. Jesus responds, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, here's, here's what you need to read into this. Martha thinks that Jesus' timing is all wrong. See, on the one hand, he could have saved Lazarus from death if he had just showed up sooner. Great, Jesus. I will see my brother again in the resurrection. Great, that's a lot of comfort. But if you had only come when I called you to come, he wouldn't have even died in the first place. On the one hand, Jesus was late. But on the other hand, his promise of resurrection seemed too early. Now, track with me for a minute, because some of you have lost loved ones. And well-meaning people have tried to encourage you by saying, well, at least you'll see them again someday in heaven. That's a great promise and a great hope. But let me just ask you, really, really, in the moment of your deepest grief and loss, that doesn't seem very helpful right then. That doesn't seem very helpful in that moment. It gives you hope in the future, and, and, and that's certainly what we want. We want that hope in the future, but we live in present reality in real time. And so Jesus is saying, or Martha is saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you had only been here, he wouldn't have died. You were late. Jesus says, well, you'll see him again in the resurrection. Martha's answer is, yes, I know I will see him again someday, but now you're promising me something that is too far in the future for me to get my emotions wrapped around it. Isn't that how we feel so often? That God on one hand is late, but on the other hand, his promises all seem to be so distant in the future that they don't help us in our present reality. Jesus goes on in verse 25 because Martha has misunderstood what it is that Jesus is saying. This is so important for us. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Think back to middle school grammar. You've got the past tense, the future tense, and the present tense. Jesus is saying, present tense, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this? Jesus was not talking about the future. Jesus was not talking about a future event in the resurrection. But he was talking about a present reality. He was talking to Martha about himself. It's important for us to remember. We talked about this a little last week. That God is outside of time. So whenever God shows up, it is God's time. God is not I was or I will be, but I am. And his timing is always perfect. We view reality through the, through the restrictions of time and space, but God is not limited like that. And so when God shows up to Martha, that is the present reality. That's what he wants you to know. He is here. Jesus says the resurrection has come among you because I am the resurrection. You know, we often talk about Jesus in terms of the fact that he was sent from heaven to earth. And that's true. Uh, that's true, but there's an, another reality that maybe we don't think about as much, that he also came from God's future into the present mess of our reality. That when, when 
when the name was given to Jesus, that his name shall be Emmanuel, God is with us. It wasn't just about geographically being with us. It was about being with us right here, right now. That's what Jesus is offering. That's what Christianity is offering to you. Not a God someday in the future, but a God who is present with you, who wants to be with you here and now. And so this is when we find ourselves struggling with doubts about God's timing. Maybe we need to change our, change our thoughts from if-only thoughts. If only this would have happened. If only this wouldn't have happened. If only I wouldn't have said that. Maybe we need to change our thoughts from if-only thoughts to an if-Jesus thought. Because you can't go back and change the past. And you have no control over the future. You know that, right? No matter what you think, you have no control over the future. You live in the present right here, right now, if only doesn't do us any good, but if Jesus may change your circumstance right now. Because, see, you may be thinking to yourself, my marriage is falling apart, and if only he would do this, if only she would do that. But let me say, if only is not going to help your marriage. What will help your marriage is if Jesus shows up. Some of you may be struggling with loved ones who are, who are, who are captured in addiction and who are, who are going through terrible problems and you feel helpless to do anything about it and you have second-guessed everything you've ever said to them, every, everything you've ever denied them, everything you've ever given them. You're questioning yourselves, if only, if only, if only. But maybe what you need to think about in that situation for that loved one is if Jesus shows up, something would be different. See, Jesus is the present reality. You can't change the past and you can't control the future, but Jesus can make the difference. And so I want you to look how Jesus responds to Martha's doubts. Jesus responded to Martha's doubts about God's timing with the truth about himself. He, he met Martha in her doubt. Jesus, if only you had been here. And he meets her with the truth of who he is. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. When you are facing doubts about God's timing, seek the truth about his character, about his purpose, and about his ways. You need to know who God is. That he is a good, good father. That's his character. That he is a loving God. He is a righteous God. That's his character. He will never defy his own character. You need to understand his purpose. His purpose in your life is for your salvation. It is for your eternal, uh, eternal security with him. That's what he has designed circumstances in your life to bring about. That's his purpose and his ways. Because he loves you, he will always do what is best for you. Whenever you are facing doubts about God's timing, you need to understand the truth about God about his character, about his purpose, and about his ways. And listen to what Martha said after Jesus said this to her. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. In other words, you are the Messiah, you are the hope of the world, and you are here right now. And then the second doubter shows up. And Mary comes and Mary brings with her questions about God's motives. So look with me in the next verse, if you would. Mary, after she, after, and after she had said this, Martha, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and, if, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When, G, when the Jews... 
who had been with Mary in her, in her home, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now, it, it seems a little odd in our culture, but in this culture, um, it was, it, it, you hired professional mourners. I mean, that was, you brought them in and they sort of helped the grieving process. You know, they, they sort of uh, encouraged the family to grieve and they were there to help. So Mary gets up and goes, the, the, all the professional grievers get up and they followed Mary thinking she's going to the tomb and in fact she's going to meet Jesus. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now think about this. Put yourself in, in Mary and Martha's time from their perspective. Mary was stunned by Jesus' failure to come and heal Lazarus. Why wouldn't he have come? And it isn't that she didn't believe that he could do it or that she didn't have the faith to see that Lazarus could be healed. It was that Jesus just didn't do it. He didn't show up. Why didn't he do it? Now, this brings up a really important question for those of us who are here who are believers and, and Christians. When we say that we believe in a God who can do anything, we are forced to explain why he sometimes doesn't. Think about that. If you say that you believe in a God who can do anything you will often be forced to explain why he doesn't do it. And to be honest, it goes beyond our ability to explain or describe or understand because God's ways are above our ways. His purposes are above us. And so the only thing we have left to do is to trust his character, to trust his purpose, to trust his ways, and to understand that his motives must be what, is, what, what are right for us. But Martha and Mary, Mary in particular, she didn't believe that right now. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. If you need a short memory verse, there it is for you. Jesus wept. Now, that's a, a powerful and a significant verse, and it's one I don't want to run past. I know it's only two words in English, but it carries such profound meaning in this particular passage because I want you to first catch the incredible emotional reversal that's happening. Because at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus said that he was glad that Lazarus was dead. Do you remember that? Jesus said, I am glad for your sake that I was not there to save him. So in the beginning of the chapter, when it seemed like he should be sad, in fact, he's glad. And here, on the verge of raising Lazarus from the dead, in fact, Jesus is moved deeply and he's on the verge of tears. What is going on? Now, first of all, I want us to consider the fact this is not the only time in the scripture that Jesus cried. And in fact, we were told by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 3 and 4 that this, is, this would define the Savior, the true Messiah who would come. Everybody's expecting a miracle, uh, a miraculous uh, warrior and a mighty, a mighty warrior who would come, who would be strong and be a tough guy. And Isaiah said, you might miss him because he might not look the way you expect. Listen to what he said. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. When you're looking for the Savior, you're looking for somebody who understands the sorrow and the heartache that you feel. 
It has to be a Savior who understands, and that's how Jesus was. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, Luke 19, 41. As he was approaching Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Hebrews 5, 7 tells us that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. So the question is, what kind of God cries? Does a vengeful God cry? Does an angry God cry? Does a disconnected or a distant God cry? Why did Jesus cry? He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he even said earlier, I'm glad for your sake that you get to see this. Because you're going to learn something important about me and about God and his plan for you by witnessing. So why is he crying? I think there are several reasons I'd like to share with you why Jesus cried. Because first of all, I think Jesus' tears demonstrate Jesus' humanity. He was a man of sorrows who endured this, the, the pain of, and the grief of loss just like us. His friend was dead. He was a human. He was just like us. Jesus weeps so that we know that mourning is not disbelieving. You need to know that. It is, not, it is not a sign of a lack of faith if you are grieving someone who was taken away from you before it was time. In fact, the scripture never tells you not to grieve. Instead, Paul says, just don't grieve as somebody who doesn't have any hope. Grieve, but grieve with hope. You know, in our, in our culture today, we don't grieve well. One of, the, one of the number one problems with, with mental health in America today, most psychologists agree, find their root in an unresolved grief. People who just didn't grieve adequately. Jesus was grieving, and he wants you to know it's okay to weep at the loss of a loved one. Jesus weeps because he cares deeply about the human condition. He understands and sees the plight of all humanity, and he's moved with compassion at what it is that we have to go through living in this broken world. And Jesus weeps, I think, maybe most of all, because he understands this is not how it was supposed to be. This is not the way that I designed it. But because of sin, because of brokenness, we have disease and brokenness and sickness and death. So Jesus responds to Mary's doubt about God's motives by sharing her grief. He enters into her grief with her. And you need to understand if you are doubting God's motives, if you're here today and you have trouble trusting God because you just don't know if you can trust his motives, you need to know and remember Jesus' compassion. You need to know that this is a Savior who understands, who knows that there is nothing that you have gone through that he himself was not willing to face. The theologian N.T. Wright says, It is only through his death... It is, it is only through his death, Jesus, it is only through his own sharing of the common fate of humanity that the world can be saved. That Jesus entered into this world to save us, but in order to save us, he had to experience the same things that we experience. And finally, the crowd. The crowd comes and they're questioning God's ability. They're questioning his ability. Look at the next verse, verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus clearly loved Lazarus. He clearly loves Martha and Mary. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You see, if Jesus truly loves us, then it must be that he's not able to save us. He wasn't able to save Lazarus. That's the thinking that the crowd had. Clearly Jesus loved Lazarus. 
If Jesus didn't love Lazarus, then it might have been that he was able to do it, but he just didn't love Lazarus enough to do it. But because he loved Lazarus, now we're questioning Jesus' ability to do it. And since Jesus clearly loved him, since Jesus clearly loved him, he was clearly moved to tears, why wasn't he doing something about it? Why didn't he keep this man? Why didn't he raise this man? After all, he healed the blind man, and that had never been done before. And I want you to to, to catch with me, because we're not going to get to what Jesus did in response, but it's important for you to know that Jesus responds to the crowd's doubts with a demonstration of his power. We're going to get to that next week. But Jesus shows them, he demonstrates to them his power. And here's what you need to know. If you, are, if you are here today and you are doubting God's ability, God, I don't know if you can save my marriage. God, I don't know if you can turn my finances around. God, I don't know if you can deliver me from addiction. God, I don't know if you can reach out to my parents who, whose lives are falling apart. God, I don't know if you can. When you are facing doubts about God's ability, just remember all that God has already done. I mean, the scripture is full of stories of things that God has done, but your life also tells stories of things that God has done. Just think back in your own journey and think about what God has done and know that he is able. So here's my question for you. Are you fully trusting Jesus today? Because you will not follow someone you do not trust. You won't do it. Especially if the, if the path gets hard, if, the, if, the, if it's dark, and you don't trust the person in front, you are not going to follow them. My question, do you trust Jesus? Are there events in your life right now that are causing you to doubt God's timing? Are you spending time right now thinking, if only, when maybe you should be thinking, if Jesus? Are you spending time right now questioning his motives? Does he really love me? Is he punishing me right now? Are, 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 you, are you questioning his motives right now? Are you questioning his ability to do in your life what needs to be done, what only God can do? This morning, as we uh, come to our time of invitation, I want to invite you um, during this time of invitation, just to, to come up from your seats and to come forward to this place around these steps and to pray. You need other people to encourage you in, in the midst of your doubt. I want you to notice something else in the story. Jesus, Jesus did not reprimand Martha and Mary and the crowd for doubting him. I think he kind of has come to expect it. It's not a sin to doubt. It's a sin to disbelieve. So here, here's my question, invitation for you today. If there's something in your life that you are doubting, if there's something in your life that you are struggling with, the invitation is for you to come and bring it here to the altar. Come here to this place and confess that doubt. Confess that doubt to God and trust him. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, we come to you this morning and um, like Martha, like Mary, like the crowd that's gathered there, we have all been through seasons and times of doubt in our relationship with you. Some right now find themselves in this place of doubt. And God, it's difficult to follow you even to the point of, of denying ourselves and taking up a cross if we don't first trust you. So Lord, today I pray for those who are here who are doubting that they would, that they would take a step of faith, that they would trust you with their lives. They would trust that you are the present reality. God who has come into our time and our space right here, right now. And that you have moved heaven and earth to bring about our salvation. And that so many times the circumstances that we face 
go beyond our ability to see and understand here right now in the confines of time and space, but you have a perspective we don't have. So Lord, give us your perspective. And Lord, for those who are here today who have never trusted you as their Savior, I pray that today might be the day they would trust you. For those who have claimed to trust you for many, many years, but who find themselves in the middle of difficult circumstances doubting you, Lord, I pray today that they would bring that to the altar and that they would leave here with a greater confidence and trust in you. Father, we invite you to move in this time. As we sing the words to this song, that maybe we don't even believe in this moment, Lord, we pray that you'd make them true in our hearts, that we would trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.